Hey everyone, this is going to be another episode of the D-Rays Bay Playoff Podcast Series. That's not an instant reaction, so ESPN's Dan Schulman, gracious enough to join us again. Uh, he is on the call, play-by-play for ESPN Radio. He's been doing it for 10 years now in the World Series. Um, so he gives us a little bit of insight on, on the series as a whole. And then uh, Game 1 last night, which the Rays dropped 8-3, to and, and some of the decisions made by Kevin Cash that we, we kind of rehashed here after talking about it with Danny and Jim on the Instant Reaction podcast last night. So without further ado, here is Dan Schulman. And joining the show once again is ESPN's Dan Schulman. So Dan, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Well, it I'd could better. be better <laughs> after game one. So Dan, you've been, you've been calling games for, for, that the Rays have been playing in all postseason. Now they've made it to the World Series. They got past the Yankees. They got past the Astros. And they come up against the, the Los Angeles Dodgers. In your opinion, in this World Series, what's the the overarching storyline for, for both teams meeting up here? Well, I, I you know, the Dodgers are the best team in baseball. I mean, the Rays are fantastic. You guys know how I feel about them. We talked about that last time. But the Dodgers' depth is unbelievable. Um you know, in, in my mind, I, I think it's the the depth of their lineup, the depth of their mm-hmm. offense. To me, that's the one separator between the, the two teams. Could Tampa Bay have a starting pitching advantage? Yes, but Glasnow's got to do better his next time out than he did in game one. Snell's got to be good in game two. Could they have a bullpen advantage? Yes, not necessarily, but yes, they might. But I think unquestionably, you look at the Dodger lineup, and they're just so good. You know, if Bellinger's swinging it well, which he is right now, and he's hitting sixth, and then, you know, 7-8, you've got whether it's Jock Peterson or Chris Taylor or Kike Hernandez. These are good players. Yeah. And, and no disrespect to the guys at the race bottom of the order. They've gotten a lot of mileage out of some of them. But as as you guys are aware, there aren't that many Rays really swinging the bats well right now. Obviously, mm-hmm. Rosa Reina's had a great month. Margot's been great. Zanino's run into a few and hit a few home runs. Wendell's chipped in here and there. But whether it's Meadows or Lau or Choi – um, they need some other guys to get going. So to me, the I, I guess the biggest separator between the two is probably the depth of the Dodger line. Like from a pure baseball perspective uh, and having watched these Dodgers in the World Series, like what, four years in a row or something like that, this feels like the best version. I feel like the Dodgers have peaked here in terms of who they are and their potential. Yeah, um, it, they may be. I mean, they don't have, you know, Hunjin Ryu's not there anymore. Kenta Maeda's not there anymore. Rich Hill's not there anymore. Like some really good pitchers that they've had in the past are not there anymore. But because it was a short season, I think they were able to work around that a little bit. You know, Tony Gonsolin was really good in the regular season. Dustin May was really good in the regular season. Julio Urias. These are three really good young pitchers. But it's interesting that the Dodgers kind of legitimately only are using two starting pitchers right now in, in Kershaw and Bueller. And the other three guys are going to mix and match and have bullpen days. And at this point of the season, they can do that, especially with the off days in the World Series. But the one thing I think that makes the – well, their bullpen is deeper. You know, Blake Trine and Bruce Dargrad are all – those are huge guys for them. But the one thing that I think makes this the best Dodger team of this recent run is Mookie Betts. Um, it's it's not ludicrous to think he's the best player in baseball and i know mike trout is the guy and he wins wins or almost wins the mvp every single year and he is an historically good player he's going to go down as one of the best players in baseball but mookie betts is phenomenal and you know he throws better and he's a better outfielder than mike trout trout has a little bit more power 
but Mookie Betts steals bases. He hits for average. Like, look at what Mookie Betts did in game one. You know, he made all those great catches in the NLCS. And then in game one, he hits a homer. He walks. He has a base hit. He steals two bases. And he scores from third on the contact play with the infield in mm-hmm. for the Rays. I think you can legitimately make the case that he is right there with Mike Trout as the best player in baseball. And when the best team in baseball adds maybe the best player in baseball, you got something pretty special. You mentioned the off days. Uh, obviously, this is the first series of this postseason with off days. And these are two deep pitching staffs. Do you think the, it, the off days favor one side over the other in terms of resting arms? Not really. I've been asked that a lot, and I, I don't think so. I think it allows both managers to lean a little bit more heavily on their key guys. The key is getting the lead. Like if Tampa Bay, you know, they trailed most of the night last night. If they trail again most of the night tonight, then Kevin Cash just isn't going to go to Fairbanks or Castillo or Anderson. Mm-hmm. If they get a lead and they get Snell through four or five, he can load up on those three guys and try to get through the rest of the game, maybe spot in loop for a key at bat against a lefty, and then give him the off day. So – uh, it sounds silly, I guess, but I think it benefits whichever team is ahead because then you can use your key guys, get the off day, and then bring them back in game three if the situation dictates it. I, I look at both uh, bullpens similarly. I think each manager's got like three or four guys he really trusts and three or four guys he kind of trusts. And and I think it allows both, both of them to use the guys they really trust more. Um, so I, I don't really think it favors one team over the other. Uh, but Well, you really know Kevin Cash right now, and that's – a great point about not having a lead. Do you think it's that simple that Glasnow comes back out because the Rays are not leading? Because game seven, ALCS, 66 pitches into Morton's outing, he gets lifted. Uh, 86 pitches into Glasnow, he comes back out for the fifth. Uh, I was personally surprised by that in general because it was only a one-run game. And then things kind of spiral out of control and he never pulls Glasnow. Yeah, I I think part of it is the Astros lineup has a different – composition to it but I I was a little bit surprised Um, and and I think the trailing is a part of it Um, you know he's I I think it was four to one at one point before the single that drove in two I believe and and at four to one he's not going to go to Castillo or Fairbanks or Anderson I was a little surprised it was Yarbrough who came in to be honest with you so it was four to one Yarbrough comes in at four to one and in my mind that's cash saying we're not right in it but I still think we've got a chance to win it. So I don't want to use one of my big three, but I don't want to use one of my back, you know, my tail end guys either. I want to use somebody I can trust. And if things go well, Yarbrough can keep going and give them some length. But as soon as it got to six to one, Yarbrough was out and Fleming was in. Mm -hmm. And that saves Yarbrough for another opportunity, whether it's starting game four, being a bulk guy in game four. So I was a little surprised um, it, it was Yarbrough. Uh, in that situation, I thought, because we've seen Kevin go to the get out of the inning guy and Yarbrough's great, but he's not really that get out of the inning guy. He's the start the next inning guy. So I thought we might see Curtis in a spot like that. And we saw Curtis a little bit later or loop in a spot like that. I actually thought Luke was going to come in. So it did surprise me um, a little bit in terms of glass. You know, when glass now struggling with his command, when a guy like Snell is fighting to get outs, it, it makes the decisions harder. You know, when everybody pitches well, the manager looks like a genius because everything works out great. So part of it is on the pitchers to pitch mm-hmm. better too. Um, but it, it surprised me a little bit, but I, you know, I don't, I don't really second guess Kevin Cash or the Rays. I mean, they've got a proven uh, enough of a proven track record um, that I, you know, trust in them. And, and I, the way the game was going, I, I don't think anything really could have changed unless the Zanino ball gets through into center field. 
Yeah. And then it's 8-4, and you got two men on, and then you never know, right? Mm-hmm. Then maybe Jansen comes in. To me, that's a that was a huge play because I think if that ball gets through, then Jansen probably comes into the game. Mm-hmm. And if mm-hmm. Jansen had pitched last night, maybe he's not available tonight. You know, we may look back on that miracle catch by Gonzalez as being <laughs> plays in the World Series. Yeah, definitely. Um, Dan, you've been calling the World Series for a long time now. And we always hear players say that they try to treat it like any other day at the ballpark. Is there anything you do differently to prepare for a World Series game because it's the World Series, or do you try to treat it like any other game? Um, Well, it's not like any other game, but I don't know that I treat it differently than an LCS or a division game. To me, October is all one big thing. Mm -hmm. Although I will tell you, I was pretty fired up before the game last night. I was sitting there before the game, like looking at Singy and Jess and just kind of, I was like, I wasn't (laughs) trying to pump them up. I I was just excited. You know, the one thing I'll tell you, the one thing I do a little bit differently is I like to interact with people on Twitter during the game. Sometimes I just like to keep an eye on it, but I do a little bit less of it during the world series. I, I mean, sometimes it's a great resource and I can learn things there. Um, but I, I wanted to make sure I was really locked in. I, again, we're calling it from a studio, and it's a little yeah. more complicated than calling it from a ballpark. And it was also the first game with three of us, with Singy and Jess. Right. And three on radio is much different than two on radio. So uh, I would guess I was just, uh, you know, a, a, a little more locked in. But I, um, you know, I feel blessed to do this. I tweeted something out about it before the game, how honored I am that it's my 10th year to do the World Series. You know, I, I feel extremely lucky and uh it's it's one of my favorite things to do in my career hmm. Blake Snell what are, what are your expectations for him tonight uh, you know it's it's hard to know what to expect um so in the first round against Toronto he was great mm-hmm. now the Blue Jays are not a very disciplined team offensively they chased a lot of breaking balls in the dirt that made him better I don't think the Dodgers are going to do that the Dodgers are smart they're good and they're experienced and you know, you kind of know Glass now is going to bounce his curveball. You kind of know Snell is going to bounce his curveball. And I think a more patient approach really helps. Let Snell prove he can get out in front of you 0-2 before you start chasing a little bit. So, um, you know, I don't want to be down on him. He's a really good pitcher. But his last couple of times out, it's been a struggle to get the outs. It's been, what was it, 82 pitches through four or something like that? I haven't looked mm-hmm. at it yet in his last mm-hmm. start. It was a Glass now outing, yes. It was a Glass now outing, yeah. And Snell was... Um, visibly unhappy when he was taken out but he kind of made the situation by by not being as good as he needs to be he needs to be good now even if it's four or five innings and he's not great if it's two to one either way or it's a tie game then I think cash rolls out the big boys because of the off day tomorrow but the the tough situation is if the Rays are down two you know it's three to one when Snell comes out in the fifth inning I think he still goes to one of the big boys, one of the, maybe he goes to Fairbanks and mm-hmm. he lets him go an inning or two. And then if they're still in it, then he goes to Castile. But if they're out of it, you know, then maybe he goes to Thompson or McClanahan or something like that. It's a really fine line, um, how he manages this game and the one run down, two runs down. Sometimes those are the toughest situations, but somebody asked me before the game, um, pick a guy on each team who's got to be good for their team to win the World Series. And I said, Blake Snell, I, I, I don't see how they win the series unless he gives them two pretty good outings. Dan, thank you for hopping on and, and, and good luck the rest of the series. All right, guys, enjoy. Well, thank you again to Dan Shulman for, for coming on the podcast today. And uh, Danny, I kind of liked his take about Kevin Cash and how the move to Yarbrough was the Rays might still be in the game. Once they're out of the game, you go, you go to Fleming. 
That might not been what have been what our biggest gripe was last night. The fact that Glass now is even out for the fifth. But now that we've had a few hours to kind of uh, simmer down and and get ready for game two, uh, has your opinion changed on how Cash managed that game? It was good to hear from Cash after the game. He did mm-hmm. the uh, media session. I was able to listen to that. Well, just, you know, I think it was ultimately a, kind of a lack of strike thrown right there. I looked up at one point, I think he was you know, 37 strikes, 37 balls. That's not ideal, especially against an offense like this that can really capitalize on on the free passes. Um, so that crept up. The inning, uh, the bat with Muncie right there, just was, you know, hoping that, Felt like he was the best guy to get a strikeout. We needed a strikeout after we weren't able to hold the runners. Uh, Mookie at, at second base when it got the second and third, and felt like Glass still with the you know with his stuff was equipped to get a strikeout. Ended up getting a, uh, a ground ball. Yanni made a great play, but Mookie just a tremendous jump. And his perspective was my best option here in the fifth inning is to start out with Glass now facing Betts and Seager. Mm-hmm. And the lineup goes right, left, right. And so if you're planning on going to a, a lefty, if you're planning on pulling in Yarbrough, although I agree with Shulman, I would have expected loop in that situation. And I yeah. would expect Yarbrough to start an inning. We talked about it last night. Yarbrough kind of pitches the contact. So having him with two men on is not ideal. <laughs> and that's a moment where I still feel like maybe cash mismanaged a, a small amount. Um, just not having a more high leverage guy uh, to, to get the out. But, yeah, I mean, I agree. It's uh, chasing the strikeout against Betts makes sense. There was this moment where it's a, uh, he got a first pitch strike. Betts took a curveball. And then he fires the next pitch against Mookie Betts. And this is the moment where it goes either 0-2 or 1-1 in the count. And it's a fastball down and away, paints the black, and Glasnow does not get the call. I went back and I watched the ending to see like where it all yeah. unraveled. And for me, that's the moment. That's the moment where if that call goes the other way and it's 0-2, maybe you get Mookie trying to swing a little bit more to defend, uh, but Glasnow got a little bit wild, ends up walking bets. And I feel like that was the unraveling. That was the undoing. It's as simple as that one call changes that at bat. Uh, he starts to get wild, doesn't have it under control for Seager. Uh, and then Cash has the wrong man warmed up. So in terms of my next day thoughts, I wouldn't even call in Yarbrough at that point. I would have had somebody else. Someone else is in Fleming or someone like McClanahan or, or someone, someone else is in loop. If your okay. if your perspective is I need to go to lefties, but then there's a question of who, the third hitter, which is where well, are you going to call in a loop to face a righty? Mm-hmm. So it, it gets weird. Uh, well, it's a tough lineup to face. I think we also have to credit Dave Roberts here. And it's not that hard to build a lineup when you're dealing with the Dodgers roster because they're just so chock full of talent. But there is no cluster of lefties in this lineup that you can attack and you can exploit. It was, I think it was righty-lefty all the way through. It was. Um, And not a whole lot of guys on the roster, not a whole lot of lefties that just can't hit lefties. They, pretty good splits, can hit both lefties and righties. So it's really hard when you're looking in that situation to bring in a guy like Loop, uh, where do you bring him in? Do you want him to go against Seager and Muncie? Do you want him to get Muncie and Bellinger, Bellinger and Peterson? That dictates when you pull Glass now. And it's a similar tactic from Cash. Uh, I don't know if you call it a tactic, but at that moment, you have three pitchers you can choose from when Betts is up. 
You can go with Ryan Yarbrough. I believe McClanahan was also warm. Or you can go with Tyler Glass now. You can choose to keep him in the game. That is a decision. You're not just leaving him out there and not making a decision. You are actively choosing to to keep him in the game. Right. And I believe, and this is not super similar, but Darby made the same point when Nick Anderson was struggling. That's the situation where you bring Nick Anderson in. And Tyler mm-hmm. Glass now, more K per nine than any other pitcher in the big leagues this year, minimum like 50 innings pitched. That is who you want facing Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts is, like Dan Schulman said, one of the best players in the game. You want Tyler Glass now, the guy that can can keep him from putting the ball in play and you know causing havoc not only with his bat but with his legs as well. Tyler Glass now might be that guy. After you lose Mookie Betts, maybe you pull him then before another runner gets well, on. Well, so Seager, right? So yeah. if you if you have loop ready, mm-hmm. again, it's a one run ball game, one man on. Base. Was loop up? I honestly no, don't. I don't think he was. <laughs> So if or if you're if, if it was McClanahan, I don't know if you you favor him. This is this is the moment where it gets away from me. I don't like yeah. pitching to Seager. That ends up being a walk. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the Rays were not getting a lot of calls uh, in the fifth inning specifically. I felt like there was one or two calls that went against the Rays that changed the character of that inning. Uh, with two outs and two on, there was a pitch low in the zone that should have been called. Um, I don't know. I don't like it. And then Shulman had a great point as well. There's so many things that, you know, if things break a different direction, if Turner doesn't make that miracle play from his yeah. knees in the sixth inning, mm-hmm. uh, what? how does the character change in the sixth inning? If Zunino doesn't bat the ball 106 miles an hour into the pitcher's glove, uh, Kevin Cash after the game said, even though Kike Hernandez was shaded up the middle, he didn't think, it was going to be an easy play. It's very, very possible that that ball kind of skips away. Mm-hmm. So Cash certainly thought it could have been something. Also, the the play where Mookie Betts scored, Yandy Diaz made a great defensive play over at first base. Mm-hmm. Zanino maybe misses the tag by an inch or two, and Mookie Betts yep. comes across to score. Like that, if they get that out there. If Zanino is standing run. back three inches, three inches backwards than where he was up the line, uh, he gets bets, or even three inches closer to the line. It was so, so, so close. And that was and, only the third run of the game. You get that mm-hmm. out, it's two to one. That is another moment that just, and we talk, we can say the cliche game of inches, but I, I do think that at, when the game was so close in all of these, you know, the batted balls and some of the hard hit balls and great defensive plays, and I, I don't want to be super negative on Kevin Gash, that the decisions that he made were what made it an eight to three game, not what played out on the field. I thought it was a much closer game if you take out obviously that fifth inning where everything went wrong. So uh, we we don't want to we don't want to just kind of uh, sulk in game one and kind of just sit here and pout because I mean great thing about baseball game two is tonight and you got a Cy Young Award winner on the mound in Blake Snell. So Danny, we talked about it a little bit last night. But I don't know about you. I'm super confident with Snell on the mound and the full A bullpen rested. Going into an off day, all of these guys, I think you've got to use them. And, and Shulman mentioned it too. If you're if you're down 3-1, you've got to use a guy like Fairbanks or Castillo to, to get those outs because we saw it went last night. The race still put up two runs in the seventh. There are plenty of opportunities to get to this Dodger bullpen. So even after five or six, if you're trailing or it's tied, you've got to treat it like you have a really good chance of winning the game, especially because you don't want to go down 2 nothing in the World Series. 
Yeah, it's weird. It you know, and I like Shulman's point that if this were a full season of baseball, how different do these teams look? Because it does feel so much more mix and match. Yeah. You know, if you think back to I mean, two thousand eight looms large in my mind right now in terms of that World Series and entering it, you knew who your starters were, you knew what to expect out of them, you knew how many innings they were gonna throw. And it was almost like these defined roles all existed in terms of the starting pitching and the length. This time around, we know we've got Glasnow, Snell, and Morton. But do you get an early hook or do you not? Can you rise to the occasion or will you not? It it's um it's a question mark. And if the Rays are going to win the World Series, I think it's a fantastic point to say Blake Snell needs to pitch like a Cy Young winner. And his approach against the Blue Jays, as Shulman rightfully pointed out, was different. You could challenge with the fastball and then just give the breaking ball in the dirt and the Blue Jays were going to swing. Um, his approach against the Astros was to pick around the edges mm-hmm. and hope for the best. <laughs> uh, I don't know what the what the approach is against the Dodgers. I don't think they're going to, uh, you know, offer it things in the dirt in the same they way. Didn't, we, they didn't they did last now. night, and then it's the same game plan tonight. So mm-hmm. I think the best model for Snell to succeed tonight is taking a good long look at what Kershaw did last night. Yeah, yeah. It, it really feels, and the Rays have played two really good teams on the way to the World Series. But even after one game, it felt like the biggest test for this Rays team. It, you could easily tell that the Dodgers were the best team that the Rays have come up against this season. And so it feels like you fit, hit that final boss, you know, in a video game. You're playing against the Dodgers. There's no weak spots in their lineup. They're, they're not like the Yankees or the Astros who have some great hitters, but guys that might strike out a lot. These guys put the ball in play, and they put the ball in play hard. They play good defense. They pitch well. This is the best team the Rays have played, and so it's the biggest test for a guy like Blake Snell, the biggest game in his in his young career. So, And the Rays hitters also need to rise to the occasion. As Shulman pointed yeah. out, Me- Meadows, Lau. Well, Meadows uh, almost this, hit a home run there late. I mean, it was kind of garbage. I know. It was, it was a, we didn't even get to that last night's pod. It was a robbery for sure. This ballpark, I, I, I got to talk about this ballpark. It's a cavernous, yeah. cavernous dungeon, uh, but the walls really kind of lend themselves to to these like home run robberies. You see Mookie Betts do it a couple times now. Cody Bellinger does it last night, and Cody Bellinger did it earlier in the postseason too. Um, off of uh, I don't remember who it was. It was uh, Fernando Tatis. Um, so yeah, he does it to Austin Meadows last night. It hurts, but I don't know. The Rays might get one of those two in this ballpark. You know, KK was talking about patrolling the outfield last night after the game, and he was asked about that uh, that fly ball that bounced off of the top of the wall. And yeah. uh, the reporter asking the question was almost saying, like, why didn't you go get it? <laughs> right? Because it, it, there's been this accustomed nature to these outfield defenders for the Dodgers playing in this ballpark mm-hmm. to just go up there and get it. And to hear KK said it was he made a choice. It wasn't an issue of like I'm hurt it wasn't an issue of I don't know where the wall was he to to take the player for at his word is to say he thought it was going to hit the wall and he needed to play the carom and, and I trust Kevin Kiermaier to make those decisions. I, I exactly right it might I, not I have, trust him as well it, it might have been a ball he caught but you've got to make that decision in, in you know a split second and it's a ballpark he's never played in the Dodgers are, you know, and all the teams in AL Central, like the only teams that have played in this ballpark. So it is, it was kind of funny, not funny in the moment, but 
we talked about maybe one of the edges the Dodgers might have is that they've played in this ballpark for several games now, and that sure. might give them a bit of home field advantage. And we kind of saw that play out in game one. So that was an interesting, interesting part of the game. But game two tonight, we'll have an interesting reaction podcast and uh, let's have some fun with it. I'm really hopeful that uh, the Rays can rise to the occasion. We got a weird lineup last night. We yeah. stacked the righties against uh, against Kershaw. I don't know if I love that decision. Um, it didn't feel like a best foot forward tonight. I feel like you're going to get the best lineup, and the hitters need to respond. Let's 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 look at the lineup or potential lineup. I think you're going to get traditional, not traditional, but Meadows, Lau, Rosarena, Troy, Margot, Wendell, Adamas, Kiermaier, Zanino. I, I listed it off very quickly, but I mean, well, exactly right. You expect Kevin Cash to do what he's always done, which is the same as the Dave Roberts approach. Yeah. In going left, right, left, right, left, all the way down the line. Mm-hmm. Do you think? I mean, Renfro's definitely not going to play. Uh, Yoshi, do you think Yoshi gets a chance? Uh, I would think not, just given yeah. Kevin Cash's proclivities the entire postseason. And, and Meadows I would is Wendell hitting the ball well in. again. If, if you went for Meadows at the DH role, like Meadows is, you know, he he hit that ball really well last night. He's starting to see the ball a lot better. I, I don't think Yoshi – it's not a case of, like, Yoshi hasn't earned it because he hasn't been given all of the opportunities. But, I mean, you, you go with you go with Meadows, I think, in this situation. Yeah, Margot might get the start. Um, I think well, so it, it also depends on where's Margot. Is he in left field and Randy at DH, or is he in right field? I um, don't want Meadows in the outfield. It, well, exactly. So I would I would assume that the outfield configuration is Randy KK Margot at this point. Yeah, which means your infield Brandon Lau needs to be at second base. Mm-hmm. You can expect Choi to be at first base. Adamas at third uh, at short. Wendell at third. Mm-hmm. I that's the that's the postseason defense. And I think Zanino doesn't leave the field or doesn't not start. He might get subbed out at one point later in the series. But now that you have the off days, I don't think you have a game that Perez is going to be your catcher. I don't know, though. I wouldn't expect it unless uh, you never know what's going on behind the scenes with yeah. you know, catchers and pitchers working together and, and maybe a comfort level or the amount of time they've been able to put in together. It wouldn't shock me if, for some reason, Perez and Snell have been working behind the scenes uh, you know, for days on end preparing mm-hmm. for the Dodgers or something like that. So uh, I would expect Zanino, though, just given his uh, his – advantage on defense yeah definitely well it's gonna be an interesting one we'll be back with our instant reaction podcast so that's gonna do it for for this episode of the d-race bay playoff podcast series danny thank you for hopping on and thank you to dan shulman once again a recurring guest dan shulman uh, on the podcast so if you want each of these episodes downloaded directly to your device make sure to subscribe to our podcast feed and as always make sure to head on over to dracebay.com to check out all of the great coverage from this 2020 postseason run Thank you guys for listening, and we'll talk to you after game two. Sizeilla.